0: Welcome back to Parkside Green's Bible Study. And Pastor Steve, so thankful for all the lessons that we have learned as we bring our study of Solomon to a close now. Uh, You remember we concluded chapter 11 last week with the tragic ending to Solomon's life. Uh, the, The final verse of chapter 11 told us that when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. But as we launch into this week's study of Rehoboam, We already know how the story's gonna go. From what the Lord told Solomon back in chapter 11, verse 13, and what the prophet Ahijah told Jeroboam in chapter 11, verse 32, and what was repeated a third time in chapter 11, verse 36, we know that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would rule over just one tribe, and Solomon's former servant, Jeroboam, would rule over 10 tribes. So our study of chapter 12 here is really just kind of detailing the story of how God's purposes were worked out in human history. And we will examine God's purposes in human history under five headings. First we'll look at a bad start, verses 1 to 15. Secondly, we'll look at a kingdom divided, verses 16 to 24. Thirdly, we'll look at a false religion. Verses twenty-five to thirty-three. Then we'll take a look back and a final look forward. Well, we begin then with a bad start in verses one to fifteen. Solomon's son Rehoboam apparently has no initial rivals to the throne, so he simply assumes power in Jerusalem, and he heads up to Shechem to be made king by all Israel. Well, Shechem was a logical choice for for a gathering place because it was centrally located. It was about 30 to 35 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was a crucial crossroads for commercial life and military travel. And Shechem is also, you may remember, where Israel had renewed the covenant in Joshua 24. So it made sense for all Israel to come together there to make Rehoboam king. But it did take him away from his power center down south in Judah as he heads up to Shechem. And and we realize that Solomon's death left a big leadership hole, right? A vacuum that Rehoboam did not fill. Because you see, Jeroboam, when he heard about this coronation ceremony going on up in Shechem, he comes back from Egypt, where he had been essentially a political uh, asylum, gone to escape from Solomon's attempt to kill him. And Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel, Jeroboam apparently maybe like their spokesperson, made a proposal to their prospective king, Rehoboam. They said, listen, Solomon had made our our yoke heavy, right? Probably through his taxes and the labor that funded all of his court, let alone all of his building projects. Maybe those northern Israelites were tired of twenty years of construction, mainly down south in Jerusalem with the temple and the palace complex. So if Rhaboam would just lighten the hard service and the heavy yoke of his father, right, then they would serve Rehoboam loyally. Just lighten up and we're all yours, right? We simply want a little relief from the heavy burdens, and you'll be our man. Now, Rehoboam, curiously, doesn't affirm this proposal, but sends the people away for three days of decision-making on his part, and then he's going to respond to their proposal. During those three days, Rehoboam consulted first with Solomon's older counselors, who told him, yes, give them a good answer. Serve the people that you rule, and in turn, they will serve you forever. But Rehoboam foolishly does not want to give Short-term concessions for long-term loyalty. He just wasn't keen on this whole servant leadership thing. So he inquired of the younger men of his own generation who told him, double down on what you require of those people. Rather than lightening up, no, add to the heaviness of their yoke. Don't coddle them, bully them. Don't serve them, intimidate them. Kind of reminiscent of what Pharaoh said back in Exodus 5. You Israelites are asking favors from me? And I'm increasing your work. You have to keep making the same number of bricks as always. And now you've got to provide your own straw to make the bricks now. Get back to work. you know. So when the people reconvene on day three, Rehoboam ignores the counsel of his father's generation and he goes with the counsel of his contemporaries, uh, speaking harshly to the people. It's kind of ironic that he claims to be a bigger man than his father Solomon. Under Rehoboam, he says, you guys can expect the yoke to be heavier and the discipline to be more severe. And as we'll see, this turned out to be a bad start to Raboam's reign, which eventually is going to lead to two kings in two capitals over two nations with two different religions going on. I mean, he was getting off on the wrong foot, but verse 15 says this bad start for Rehoboam was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord to fulfill the word he spoke by the prophet Ahijah to Jeroboam. Sure, on the one hand, Rehoboam's busy taking counsel and weighing it and making his own decisions, giving his speech, but the whole thing was brought about. By the Lord to fulfill his purposes. I mean, God was the one tearing the kingdom from Solomon's son, just as promised. As one commentator said, big men are simply little servants of Yahweh's word. Big men are simply little servants of Yahweh's word. There are no chance events here. God is sovereign over human affairs. We move then from a bad start to a kingdom divided in verses 16 to 24. When all Israel saw that Rehoboam did not listen to them, they disavowed their loyalty to David, and they distanced themselves from his dynasty. They basically sent Rehoboam packing back to his loyal followers down south in Judah. And when he sent a taskmaster for the forced labor up north in Israel, they stoned the guy. I mean, this man who had been in charge of the quarry and moving rocks is now killed by rocks, and that drives Raboam scurrying off quickly back to Jerusalem. This momentous occasion marks the end of the united monarchy and the beginning of the divided monarchy. In just a few days, it seems, Raboam's folly was tearing down what David and Solomon had spent 80 years building. The ten northern tribes in Israel rebelled against the house of David, and they made Jeroboam their king. Well, how does Rehoboam respond to this? He rallies the troops for civil war. He assembles 180,000 elite warriors from the tribe of Benjamin down in Judah to go to war against those ten tribes of Israel. He plans to make good on his word to be a harsh king. But thankfully, a man of God, Shemaiah, brings the word of God to Rehoboam and to all the people of Judah and Benjamin and to an unspecified rest of the people. God graciously told them not to, not to go up and fight against their relatives, their brothers, the people of Israel, right? Because this division between north and south was from the Lord. And amazingly, in this instance, they listened to the word of the Lord and they went back to their homes. The Lord's merciful warning kept them from a bloody civil war. And that brings us to our third section of a false religion. From a bad start to a kingdom divided to a false religion. The first thing Jeroboam does as king of the ten northern tribes, to fortify or build up a couple of strategic cities, Shechem and Penuel. But Jeroboam also starts to worry, he says in his own heart, that when the northern people of Israel go down to the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices, their hearts might revert to following Rehoboam. That might even lead them to killing me, I can't have that. So after taking counsel, Jeroboam made two golden calves and he told the people, didn't need to take that long journey to Jerusalem to worship. Time enough for that is over, right? You see these two golden calves? They're the gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, of course, calves were common in Canaanite worship, kind of seeking fertility. And Jeroboam, then it seems, was mixing worship of Yahweh with worship of other gods. And he gave them a lot of choices. They could go to Bethel, which would be convenient if you lived toward the south of Israel. You could go to Dan, convenient for those living to the north of Israel. Uh, Both Dan and Bethel had histories as sites for worship in the period of the Judges. The idea was to discourage pilgrimages to Jerusalem, which might lead to allegiance to Judah. And here, with the making of these two golden calves, we can't help but think, can we, of Exodus 32, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, and Aaron made that golden calf. And the people then said, ominously, to the golden calf Aaron had made, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That episode did not end well like 3,000 people were killed that day for their great sin of idolatry. And this episode will not end well either. Though we're going to see the judgment takes a little while to work itself out. In the meantime, Jeroboam creates all the trappings of a false religion for the 10 northern tribes in Israel. Right, to accompany their false gods, Jeroboam also made false temples on the high places. He had false non-Levitical priests from just among the people and a false feast that would mirror the one down in Judah, but at a different month than God's word dictated. And remember, Jeroboam should have known better because the Lord had promised that if Jeroboam walked in the Lord's ways, God would be with him and would build him a sure house, just as God did for David, chapter 11, verse 38. But instead, Jeroboam takes matters into his own hands. God made him king, but he doesn't trust God to keep him as the king. Verses 32 and 33 sum it up well. They offer sacrifices to wrong gods, the golden calves, not the Lord, at the wrong place in Bethel, not in Jerusalem, with the wrong priests, just from among the people, not the Levites, on a wrong date the eighth month instead of the seventh month. It was a false religion in every way. It was devised from Jeroboam's own heart, as verse 33 says. He created, right? He made the calves, the altar, the temples, the priests, the feast date. Jeroboam erected a false religion in an effort to secure his kingdom rather than trusting and obeying the Lord who controlled the kingdom all along. Jeroboam's false religion essentially institutionalized idolatry in the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's going to bring horrible consequences as we look forward. But before we look forward, let's look back at our study of Solomon as a whole for just a minute. Solomon's life story started out so positively. With the help of the prophet Nathan and his wife Bath- wife Bathsheba, uh, King David made sure that Solomon, not Adonijah, that Solomon sat on the throne. And, and among David's final words to his son were, walk in the Lord's ways. Keep his commandments that you can prosper in all that you do. Solomon, you've got to keep first things first. Keep the Lord first, son, And as reported in chapter 3, Solomon did love the Lord. Uh, When he could ask for anything at all, he asked for wisdom to govern the Lord's people with discernment. And that pleased the Lord. Solomon showed so much wisdom, judicial wisdom in the case of the two prostitutes, administrative wisdom with all his officials, botanical and zoological wisdom with plant and animal life, a diplomatic wisdom of Hiram, king of Tyre, construction wisdom with the temple and the whole palace complex. And you remember when the temple's consecrated, the glory of the Lord fills it. And Solomon prays a model prayer at that time. He was internationally renowned. He attracted visitors from far away, the Queen of Sheba. And that reflected very positively on the Lord that he served. Israel undoubtedly hit its high point, its zenith of peace and prosperity under Solomon's rule. But when we look back, it also seems that Solomon in his later years enjoyed too much of a good thing, right? Forbidden horses imported from a forbidden country of Egypt. And what appears to be excessive gold and silver, which Israelite kings were not supposed to accumulate. So as we look back, we see clearly that Solomon had way too many wives who worshiped the wrong gods. And in the end, they turned Solomon's heart after their gods. Rather than clinging to the Lord, Solomon's heart clung to his wives who who turned his heart after other gods. Oh, man. Solomon went after abominable deities, he built high places for their worship, so naturally the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. So following the terms of the covenant, the Lord foretold how he would tear the kingdom away from Solomon's son, and that happens in very short order under Rehoboam, right at the beginning of his reign. Solomon's divided heart led to a divided kingdom. So looking back, you know, young, obedient Solomon is a good example in many ways. And older, disobedient Solomon is a warning to guard our hearts and walk closely with the Lord. His example reminds me personally, Steve, keep first things first. The Lord must always be first and also continue to trust and obey God. In my later years, I'll be 60 at my next birthday I want to finish strong walking closely with the Lord not as Solomon did. Well, looking back there's just so much to learn from Solomon and looking forward there are many lessons to learn too. Right, once Israel had set up an institutionalized system of idolatry, false religion in the north, they never recovered from it. They never did. If you look forward to the rest of 1st and 2nd Kings, you will find that every single king in the north the kings of israel without exception are judged negatively for walking in the ways of jeroboam and his sin solomon kind of started that snowball of apostasy rolling down the hill it gains momentum under jeroboam until finally the lord has to exile the people out of the land under the assyrians but As we look further forward, we see good news, right? The Old Testament prophecies of a a coming Messiah, an anointed one who would save his people from their sin. And the Lord fulfills his promises, as always. He shows incredible love by sending his own son to become a human, to live a perfect life, to die as the perfect sacrifice for other sins and rise victoriously from the dead. God graciously offers salvation to all, Jew and Gentile alike, all who would turn away from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ. God even adopts believers as his children into his own family, and they will enjoy the unimaginable wonders of the new heaven and the new earth forever. Well, that's the story we're going to follow as we study the Gospel of Luke, starting in the middle of January. Registrations for that are going to be open very soon. Stay tuned. Hope you'll join in the the study of Luke. But before closing now, right? we're always seeking to live in response to God's word. So consider three things. Consider, first of all, the fearful folly of false religion. When Solomon and Jeroboam deviated from God's word, as they both did, They widened this growing chasm between Israel and the God who made them a nation to start with. I mean, it's scary how fast it happens, the fearful folly of false religion. Secondly, consider God's purposes in human history. The division under Rehoboam was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord to fulfill his word. As the Lord told the people, before their near civil war. The thing is from me. This thing's from me. And likewise, when Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Israelites all conspired against Jesus, they were only doing what God's plan had predestined to take place. Look at Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. This thing, too, is from me. Thirdly, consider what really matters most. Solomon accomplished a lot. Politically and economically, Uh, Jeroboam, he ruled over the vast majority of Israel, the ten tribes. But what really matters, it's not economics or politics, it's being faithful to God. It's being a person after God's own heart, like David. So consider what really matters most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for your word that's living and active, It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, the Israelites 3000 years ago needed to hear the message of 1st and 2nd Kings, and we need to hear that same message today. We are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love, so keep us, we pray, from the fearful folly A false religion. Take our hearts, Lord. Take and seal them. Seal them for your courts above. We praise you also, a sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. In the midst of all our scurrying around here on earth, we know you are accomplishing your good and wise purposes in human history. Father, we can become so consumed with the latest breaking news on cable TV, uh, the latest posts on social media, the latest trends in financial or housing markets, the latest political spats, the latest sports talk. With all these things vying for our attention, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would focus us on what matters most. Being faithful to you, loving you with our whole selves, loving our neighbors. Thank you for Jesus showing us the way and for being the way, the one way to you, Father. It's through him that we pray. Amen.